Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. As our city and region have grown exponentially, our social fabric and connective tissue have just simply not kept up, and in some cases, is eroding. We believe that sharing moving and inspirational stories and conversations of our residents, politicians, activists, athletes, and artists is a necessary way to foster relationships between people of all backgrounds and beliefs so we can work together to build the common good. I'm your host, Tim Gatos, native Seattleite, and over the past 20 years, been working hard to build community here in this region. And back in 2009, I was serving as president of the Belltown Business Association. Belltown was going through a tough season. I met with Monica, she interviewed me, and I became very impressed with her desire to tell the stories of our city. Monica is an award-winning Sunday columnist for the Seattle Times and weekly columnist for GeekWire as well as the Daily Beast. She founded the Evergrey, which is a leading digital news publication. But more importantly, someone who I find to care deeply about all the people of our region. Monica, good to have you. Hey. Welcome. How's it going, Tim? Welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Thank you for... Thank you for being here. It has been really neat over the last number of years to get to know you and see the amazing work that you've done um, in Seattle and in different parts around the country. And it is just a joy to have you here. Here at the Common Good Podcast, we are telling the inspiring stories of those building the common good in Seattle. And you certainly are one of those people. You've There's so many things we could dive into and talk about, and I can't wait for the listeners to hear more about you. And what has formed you, inspired you, motivated you? Because there's things that we're going to learn from you today that um, I think getting even under the surface of of your story, I think is really powerful. And so maybe you could just start with some of the upbringing and just give us a snapshot of what it was like for Monica and how um, you got to this point here in Seattle. And maybe you can just give us a little bit of a snapshot of your background. Sure. Uh, so the most recent thing that uh, I've done in Seattle that I'm pretty pretty proud of and excited about is I co-founded the Evergrey. So the Evergrey is a primarily a newsletter. It's a community. It's it's local news, but it's goings on. It's conversation that helps you live like you live here. Um, the idea behind it is that everyone who's in Seattle, whether you just got here, or you've been here your whole life, um, we're, we're, we all are deserving of very rich local lives and, and meaningful local lives. Um, and so the Evergrey is out to make everyone feel, hey, you belong here. And here's what that means. And here's the power you have. And we're going to make understanding Seattle, enjoying Seattle and exploring Seattle and understanding each other as easy as possible. Just easy breezy, a great experience, five minutes every morning and you're plugged in. So that's been going on for three years. It's now headed up by my colleague, Caitlin Moran, who's incredible. Um, and yeah, is just putting out amazing work. Uh, and also my colleague, Jordan Lyon, uh, who's doing these awesome events. I believe this week we have our, is it the third dating game show? So yeah, we're starting, we're, we're making like connections happen in the city. It's pretty cool. Does Jordan jump in on that? Cause you mean as, as, yeah, a, as a participant? Right. I don't think he has okay, yet. He should. He maybe should. <laughs> Jordan is amazing. He's very, very, uh, very good guy. Yeah. One of the things I've been really impressed with, Monica, with you, in this day and age where we look at the tone, the the content, the the conversation that's happening in Seattle, and of course we see this in our country as well, 
it seems like we're disintegrating um, ac across social boundaries and it's very hard for people willing to embrace tension to cross boundaries. It's almost like if, if I disagree with you, I'm, I'm cutting you out uh, because I, I can't be your friend because you believe this. And we're seeing that more and more. You have done an unbelievable job in Seattle and in different parts of the country of having this ability to stand in that tension, to embrace that and to, and to help facilitate and bring people together to find common ground. That is a unique gift. And I think people here in our, in our city really appreciate that. I know I do. I want to, one, let's, I want to talk about that, but I also want to dive into um, what we can learn, how you, what formed you, what inspired you. One of the things that I've seen a couple years ago that you did, you took some folks from King County down to Sherman County in Oregon. This is post Trump election. Mm -hmm. And I know <laughs> you might have to do this again, perhaps. Mm -hmm. We're yeah, not we'll sure. See. We don't know what's going to happen. It's getting tricky out there. But you took some folks down there. Um, and you brought people together on different sides of the aisle. And and right now, the aisle seems to be getting a lot wider. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's and a chasm. It is a chasm. Tell us about that and what you learned from that, what you brought out of that. And then let's dive into you know, some of your story after that. Yeah, sure. So uh, the Evergrey was founded with a few values that me and my co-founder Anika Anand uh, wanted to make very felt from the beginning. And uh, one of those values is curiosity. So after the election, we detected all kinds of feelings in Seattle, right? I mean, November 9th, 2016 was, it was just strange to walk around this city that, that day. It was like this. It was like after the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots. Yeah. It was oh, just like, was, remember that? It's dead. I remember yeah. I had a meeting that morning, actually. And it almost felt like it should be canceled. We didn't end up canceling it, but we went and you could just, you could just sense just the deadness of it, right? The shock. Anyway, so out of that sense of curiosity, we, we pay a lot of attention to the folks who read the newsletter. They're participants in, in the project. And uh, one of the things that we kept hearing from folks was curiosity around there's just not a lot of people who at least vocally support Trump or, you know, this version of the Republican Party here in Seattle. And some folks really drawn to the Evergrey who, who want to be curious are curious, except they cannot access anyone here who can explain to them what led them to a choice that for them is so, you know, off, you know, what their experiences uh, tell them that the world should be like and America should be like. So based on that, we we saw this opportunity. The Washington Post had made this interactive map that showed the nearest county to your county, wherever you happen to be, that voted exactly opposite in the presidential election. You plug in King County, you get Sherman County, Oregon. And which that was 92%. Is, is that right? It was, I believe... Don't quote me on this, but I think it was something like 74%, 74. and 26%. Okay. Because uh, it's King County, right? I mean, Seattle was more blue. but uh, So it was Sherman County, Oregon, uh, about 2,000 people, very agricultural county, uh, small county. And then we thought, well, let's just ask our readers if they would be interested in, I don't know, visiting, getting to know the place. And they were. We heard from 20, 30 of our readers that some kind of way of, of interacting or visiting would be really cool. 
so then we had a choice. Do we really want to go ahead and do the work for this? Because there's a lot of considerations. You want to do it right. You have to do it collaboratively with Sherman County, right? If it's to be a true coming together across the aisle, you can't assume as a, you know, in Seattle that you know how to make this whatever sort of brand of nonpartisan it needs to be. So we ended up, like, long story short, we ended up getting connected with some wonderful people in Sherman County, you know, who have very different political views, hours and hours of phone conversations. We planned out four to five hours of an event. It took us five hours to drive 19 people from King County down to Sherman County. And then we did a, a quick bus tour of the county and the rolling hills of wheat. Um, we did a meal that they prepared for us. Uh, we brought kind of a housewarming gift, you know, because we're guests. And then we started talking. Mm. Uh, and all of that was based on a lot of thought and a lot of agonizing over how do we how do we do this so that people feel they really can be honest and candid and curious and not threatened, right? And that's a huge challenge. And it's only gotten bigger since. I've imagined if we if we did that again, and I sometimes I just wonder if you can, if you could. Mm. The with, way the gulf even has with the widened. Same people. Well, that's a good point. The, those those folks on the way back, you couldn't hear yourself think on the bus on the way back. I mean, the everyone was talking about things they hadn't considered before mm -hmm. that they heard from folks who live in Sherman County and 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 think very differently from them. And and it was just the beginning. I mean, we didn't resolve, we didn't get to like huge depth of understanding. It was it was the beginning. It was the seeds. Um, and so we wrote up some of the observations of folks who had participated from Sherman County. There were 16 folks from there, which was actually pretty impressive because there's only 200 people who live in the county seat of Morrow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's pretty good penetration <laughs> of the local community. That is. <laughs> but uh, man, yeah, we, we really lucked out in making strong relationships with, with folks down there. Um, so yeah, I mean, if it were the same folks who, by the way, we're still, we're still in contact with. Uh, maybe, you know, they know what can happen and maybe they would want to dig deeper. If you had to spool out the, what was the kind of the big takeaway from the folks from King County down mm. there, what it, what was it? Do you know if there's a, in the sense of like, oh man, I learned this yeah. or this really helped me to get my arms around this or understand yeah. Do you know what that was? One big takeaway that comes to mind that I heard from one of our participants, um, and I thought was so insightful. She had studied at UW public policy, I think around environmentalism for the most part. And her big takeaway was primary source. Basically, she had made lots of conclusions about what rural America's interest is politically. That was based on academic studies. It was based on, you know, thought pieces on the internet. And when she went and spoke to human beings living those experiences, she learned a lot. And so in one of our follow-up stories, we have ample quotes from her talking about that, that for her, the big light that went off was, you got to talk to people. Mm. You can't really understand unless you talk to people. And it's not that the folks who write the thought pieces or the academic papers are wrong, but there's something missing when you, when you miss the lived experience, right? And lived experience is one of those phrases very popular right now because there's less and less trust in our sets of assumptions that have guided society for so long. We're questioning a lot. And so where do you begin when there's no textbook? You begin with people. You begin with the raw material. You begin with the primary source. That's powerful. I mean, I, 
the the most potent times in my life where I feel like I'm flourishing as a human is when I'm able to sit down and build a relationship, especially with someone who I don't see the world in the same way. And we look at things differently and being able to sit down with someone and become a friend and, and have understanding that goes both ways. There is something so powerful about that, that brings it's almost, it's just like, it's blood in your veins to say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm more alive than I was before. Mm -hmm. And when we learn to trust, when we have that connection, so much, I, I see so much right now in our society in Seattle, around the country where so much is fear and anger, mm -hmm. suspicion. A lot of suspicion. And, and granted, <laughs> there's, there's certainly re reasons to feel those ways, right? Yeah. I think that's really important to understand. All that is so well-founded. It's not like people have suddenly lost their minds. Right. Right? There, there's good reasons why we're not trusting each other, right. right? We suspect people with different points of view. Uh, and we could, you know, tick off some of them. One of them is that there's this, there's this deep interest right now in understanding identities and experiences that are not part of the quote-unquote mainstream, you know, more white, maybe more male-dominated, et cetera. And that's been awesome. That's like a revolution in America and in American consciousness of itself. Uh, at the same time, what's happened as a consequence is a lot of those identities have become very tightly bound uh, to certain political ideas. What that means is it's become extraordinarily personal, right? And you'll hear, you're, you'll hear people say that the level of personal offense or threat or that word, you know, trigger, when they hear about somebody who believes something that in their mind they have now tied to being against their identity. <sighs> I mean, unpacking that is a lot of work that a lot of people don't want to do mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's too painful, it's too hard. So I think there's also a recognition that for some folks, this is a lot easier, right? It's a little easier to be like, kumbaya, we can all get along, we can do this, it's fine, you know, it's a little work, but no big deal. Uh, for other folks, there's just a lot more tied into it and uh, a lot more to unwrap um, and a lot more, you know, valid suspicions and, and threats. Um, so that, that I think is one of the biggest challenges because, you know, my point of view is that this is possible for everyone, but, but, but we're living in a time when it is very hard to have credibility, uh, about anyone's experiences other than your own, right? Because we're questioning how much we're assuming we understand other people. So it's this paradox because on the one hand, it is more important than ever that we seek to understand other people. On the other hand, we don't trust someone who's not like us to tell us what we ought to think. We just don't. So tell me, so you're someone who wants to say, I, I believe this is possible. And you, you're, you have this outlook and this view that is, that is a, that I believe needs to be just spread mm -hmm. throughout, you know, the, the Republic. Such as it is. <laughs> <laughs> How did that come to be? You know, you're, you're from, you're from Mexico. Yep. Um, you're, we're, we're living in a time where there's a lot of conversation about immigration and the border and that would seem to be personal yep. in some ways that you, you are a, I, I just look at you and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so inspired by how you are able to have this voice and this outlook 
tell us about that. How, I mean, mm, where to begin? Tell uh, us about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. You know, self-analysis is fraught because one is obviously sort of biased. I can only see myself from within myself and who knows what I'm missing. All that said, <laughs> um, I, I'll point to a couple of things that as I, as I reflect sort of make me make sense of myself in this moment. One is that I am a journalist and the way that I have approached journalism has been very, very serious about the role that journalism plays to moderate conversation, not just to inform, but to help people make sense of the different perspectives around the table. I take that very seriously. In the last few years, journalism's gone through some real, whew, I mean, from everywhere, but particularly in its culture. And, you know, some journalists, I think, would count themselves very much uh, among, you know, groups of folks who feel so threatened or panicked about what's going on that they're more comfortable taking a point of view and applying it to every part of their job. And that's very understandable to me. Um, to me, though, it is still of utmost importance to be able to facilitate credibly, right? So there's this debate between transparency and objectivity. Objectivity, these days, we think, a lot of journalists are like, that That was a farce all along. You, we, nobody can be objective, which is true. Transparency is about better to just tell everybody what we think, right, and go from there. The place that I think is unresolved, though, is, is again coming back to this idea of moderating people's conversations. Someone has to. And imagine that you are the moderator of a focus group, right, and on some touchy subject, abortion or gun control or something crazy like that, and you've got the both sides, right? And your job is to moderate. Your job is to get these folks to understand each other, whatever that happens to be. And the first thing you say is, I'm with that group. I'm with that side. Let's get started doesn't work, mm -hmm. right? So, so that's the limits of transparency when, when met with the needs of our age. If, if the need is understanding, then just plain transparency I don't think is enough because we don't have journalists who represent equally all of the points of view in this country um, and all of the identities. So, so that's, that's one place where, again, I take very seriously that, that need and that obligation and I'm exploring it. Um, another thing to your point is I, I am Mexican. I was born in Mexico. My whole family lives there, except for my parents who moved us up when I was six. Mexico city? No, Monterrey. It's okay. a city in the North. Uh, I believe it's still the third largest city in Mexico. Not very touristy. So folks don't, don't hear about it, but quite prosperous. Um, uh, you know, as close as you might get to a healthy middle class in Mexico, which is, you know, not the same as it would be here. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up there until I was about six, moved to the States and uh, my identity as a Latina, you know, has gone through its own journey. Um, I think that sometimes we, we flatten ethnic identities quite a bit and assume that all Latinos sort of think the same and are the same and have the same. That's clearly not true. Um, one thing that I think about a lot because we're very, we're reflecting a lot on race is, you know, you look at me and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I would, I would ask anyone to say, if, if you just looked at me, could you tell I was Latina? I think the answer is no. I think I pass for white pretty easily. There's also the fact of my accent. I don't have one. I had one until third grade. The last word that I said with a, with a Mexican accent was three. And then when that was gone, that was it, right? The only way you can tell I'm Latina is my name. 
I have accents over Monica Guzman, right? I am bilingual. I speak Spanish. Uh, I have that culture. I go back to Mexico every year. Very, very close ties with my family. These days, the word is person of color. And so it's funny because I, I more closely sort of identify with the term minority. Like, oh, I'm Latina, so I'm a minority. But person of color is about race, and at least to me. And so anyway, so there's a complicated thing going on in my head. So what was that like for you when you moved up here at the age of six? Mm. I mean, what was the, and was there a sense of when you lost your accent, yeah. was that purposeful or did you try or were you, no, 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 it just happened. Yeah. I was third grade. I wasn't thinking like that. You weren't thinking like that. <laughs> no. Yeah. Okay. No, it just happened. Um, I will say when I got married, I took my husband's name. So my professional, uh, my professional name remains Monica Guzman. Lots of journalists like to keep their byline consistent because the Googles and all that stuff. <laughs> but, um, but my legal name is Monica Preston. And I, 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 I noticed oh, Monica Preston. N- now you can't tell. <laughs> now you can't tell that I have this difference. Right. Mm. And, and that uh, felt like a bit of a loss. Uh, so anyway, anyway, so identity is, is a very, very nuanced thing. Um, and when I see it being flattened, I wish it wouldn't be right. I think there's, there's way more that we can talk about, but, uh, but one thing I can say is that I have not felt deep roots in one identity because I have so many. And so I, I've, I've looked around, I've met a lot of what I would call bridge builders, folks who, seem to be pretty good at trying to lead others to cross divides, right? I like to count myself in that group. I at least aspire to be in that group. Um, And what I've noticed is a lot of bridge builders have in their biography unresolved different identities. They can't feel too loyal to one camp. They're half black and half white, you know, or like me. They grew up in America and identify extremely closely with American culture, but they were born in another country. So where's home? is a question I talk about, like, I think about all the time. So because I don't have one strict, I like I can root myself exactly in this identity and it's powerful and the whole thing, I feel like that just leaves me a little more open to just look around at all the identities. And and, and the last thing I'll say, and this is kind of, this is random, but I think it's true. I studied film in college. I grew up with Bowdoin College. It's a liberal arts school in Maine. Um, I grew up watching lots, and I mean lots of movies. Uh, my parents to this day watch like two to three movies in the movie theater every week. They see everything. And when we were growing they're, up, we they would were probably go. fired up about the new monthly membership, as many movies oh, as you yeah. want. <laughs> no, totally. They're in that. My first job was at uh, Hoyt's Cinemas in Newington, New Hampshire. It was the largest multiplex in southern New Hampshire. Twelve screens. I was there for three years. Free movies all the oh. time. So, so, but, but I remember being in like grade school and fi- it finally dawning on me that I was the only one in my class that went to the movies, movies as much as I did. The reason I bring that up is because movies are just unending stories from other people's perspectives. And um, what I've realized about myself is that having absorbed so many stories, my first instinct is to try to understand where anyone is coming from. Because everyone has their reasons. Everyone, right? So you can, you can decide not to be curious about them or you can decide to be curious about them. And I'm always curious about them. That's another reason I ended up being a journalist. I absolutely love learning why people feel the way they feel about whatever it is. I get, I disappear. It's like a trance. I love interviewing folks. I love, I love digging into their stories. To me, it's just the whole world is one big mystery, you know, set of experiences to unpack and unravel. And it's awesome. So everyone has their reasons to me, you know? Um, so it's very difficult for me to dismiss or vilify. 
Um, yeah. When you look at, you bring up a really amazing insight about bridge builders and having these unresolved identities that you talk about. That's a really amazing insight. When you look at your life and you look at the, what has, you know, formed you, inspired you, and obviously so many, um, there, there's usually people in our life or we see something or a mentor, or when you look at your life and you say, I got to where I am because I was shaped mm. and formed and I was inspired or motivated. What, what comes to your mind? Mm. Yeah. The people question is interesting. I don't know how much I've thought about this. Uh, I think about Mr. McCafferty, who was the ethics teacher at my Catholic high school in New Hampshire. And I remember one day, um, it's a Catholic high school, right? So there's points of view there. Uh, and one point of view on abortion is the Catholic point of view. Uh, it was a bit more of a liberal school. And I remember Mr. McCafferty showing us a film. I don't remember. Uh, but it was a film that really shed light on the woman's point of view uh, in the abortion kind of thing. And I remember feeling really inspired by by that point of view um, in a new way. And this was maybe 11th grade. And, and going up to him afterward because I was just so moved and I was so suddenly in conflict about something. And, and he encouraged the conflict. He encouraged the tension. You know, he didn't, he didn't say, no, 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 you got to believe this or that, or you really got to just find an answer. He was like, yeah, you know, this is tough. And I, um, yeah, he really inspired me. That entire uh, ethics was like, our, our ethics class was maybe a quarter long and it really set a framework for understanding that it's okay to just say, this is hard. Uh, and, and maybe it's okay if folks' experiences lead them to different sides of the binary question on the table, but that there's something in, something illuminating, there's something to learn about those hard issues that can't seem to get resolved, right? Like abortion. And there's, there's ways to show love for the folks struggling with it. Um, and I think it's extremely important to try to do that uh, when so much is at stake for so many folks. So Mr. McCafferty was mm. really, really informative for me. I love that. I think the the last couple folks we've had here also brought up teachers mm -hmm. um, in terms of people that have really, that stand out to them. And there's something powerful about a teacher, yeah. you know, in your life. And, oh, yeah. and you also mentioned something that I think in, in this whole concept of bridging divides and bringing people together, this, th this, mystery, right? Just the, there's a, there's this bringing that up. If, if you're bringing people together and you're a, say a moderator, you're a bridge builder and almost right out of the gate talking about the, the idea that, you know what, there's, there's a, there's a lot of things that are mysterious, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, to, to just put that on the table. And I think that's what you mentioned in this conversation with your teacher that, you know what, there's, there's some mystery. There's God's mysterious, yeah. right? We see that. I mean, I'm, you went to Catholic school. There's I went to Catholic school. Yeah. God's mysterious. Yeah. There's a, there's a mystery of things. And a lot of times we, we think we see so clearly, but when we have conversations and we look at things from just a slightly different perspective, when you travel the world, when you experience different cultures, all of a sudden you realize, man, there's some more mystery and it's not as clear mm -mm. as mm -hmm. maybe it appears. And the only path to more clarity is more understanding of other perspectives. That's it. You have to begin with the assumption that everyone's looking at the same thing 
and forming different conclusions because of everything they've done and walked before. And so, so that's it. So the only way to unpack the mystery is to start asking questions. Right. And that's one of the things I think I see in Seattle right now is that it's, there is becoming such a, in some ways, echo chamber, right? Of like, this is the only way to look at things. Mm -hmm. And if you don't look at things this way, then- Something's wrong with you. And, and we've, it seems like we're going so far in this direction of, of, of thinking that this is the only way to look at things. And, and there's danger in that. Absolutely. And it undermines Seattle. Seattle's a very educated, smart place that has, that's why I love it. A lot of compassion. You know, like I, I like to say that as soon as Seattle realizes it's done wrong by someone, it panics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we want to know how to do right. Like that's just the most serious accusations. Like we're trying so hard to be good, um, and and to understand what that means. And that's a beautiful place to start. Mm-hmm. That set of intentions. So to me, when I see when I see perspectives silenced um, unintentionally, I think, but just as a result of the climate, it makes us less smart just does I, I and and people might say no it just makes us more right and more direct and more mobilized and they have a point because motivating people to action is very difficult the simpler the message and the more agreement around the message and the more outrage be, uh, behind the message the more mobilized you'll be the more action you can take so i understand that there's that balance if we keep embracing the nuance we'll never do anything right i recognize that as a limitation in myself um you know, again, another reason I'm a journalist and I've taken a certain part of the mission very seriously. I also recognize it, like, it's hard to say this out loud. I'm not a protester, I guess is the way I would say it. I feel like it would take so much <laughs> to rile me up on one thing, you know, that it'd be very difficult for me to imagine me playing that role. So instead, I'm, I'm moving into this moderator role because I think that's just a better fit for my personality. There are folks who are really, really good fighters and we need them. We need people to put their whole skin in the game behind something they believe very fully. And we need them to fight and we need them to simplify the message. We do. Mm-hmm. We need them to do that. We need them to throw nuance out the window because sometimes you need to just move. And sometimes it needs to be a battle between wills like that. And that's how, you know, we form society. It's just it's just tug of war, right? And that's healthy. So I, I don't think the world would be right if everyone were like me. No. Everyone has to find their role and play it and it's got to be somehow in balance. The problem we see when you have loud, strong voices, mm-hmm. right, and you have what's you know a leader leading a movement of something, where whatever that is, mm-hmm. the followers of of that movement um, tend to be, you know, they're they're the the fundamentalists, right? They they take things whatever it is to the extreme, right? And Sometimes, yeah. I mean, you, I, I've seen this in so many different circles of how uh, you have a you have a communication strategy. You you say something powerfully and strong and simple, but then that trickles down and it's, mm. and then that's taken yeah. to the, to the extremes. Yeah. And, and that's usually where a lot of the problems yeah. arise, right? I yeah. mean, we see this with, with Trump today, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where he may infer something, maybe he's not saying it explicitly, but it's implicitly, but then mm-hmm. people who are like, yeah, I'm taking this and, and then they... And then they take it to an extreme, sure, sure. and but Trump will be like, "Hey, I wasn't really saying that, mm-hmm. but no, but your people <laughs> yeah. who are following you yeah. will take it." And and you see that in in a lot in almost yeah every, every circle, place, right? right? Of course, especially and now. If you were gonna 
protest something, what would be your prediction? If you ever, mm. if you ever were moved yeah. to protest, what, what would be your yeah. prediction today on this day in September? <laughs> what would that be? What would it be? Well, um, well, I guess I have to correct myself. The very first women's march I marched. Now, I, I was there, you know, for the Evergrade to take pictures and cover it, but I held up a sign and the sign said, curiosity, honesty, and respect. I was marching for curiosity, honesty, and respect. And I was marching because I was afraid that those were values that have, that America was going to walk away from. So I didn't, but you know, I wasn't angry about it. I just wanted to be part of that. Um, I mean, the, the, the danger in your question is in order to predict what I might protest, I have to predict things getting a lot worse in some ways, right? More clearly worse and that I hesitate to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I might say is I think that the, you know, uh, I think one of the, one of the strong mobilizers that I see uh, among my friends on the left is there's, there's a universe in which we are already on our way to despotism you know, and, and like almost like a dictatorship kind of thing. Like we're on our way to throwing out democracy, right? And that it's a slow boil and, and folks who aren't panicked enough just don't notice it and don't realize it and we need to act and rise and the whole thing. And um, what's interesting about that point of view is you can't disprove it really, right? It's speculative. Uh, so I can imagine, like I've asked myself this, like, you know, what would be the signs that are clear enough that we're headed in that direction that would... That would make me rise. And I like to think that there are some, but again, I hesitate to vocalize them because then you just start getting scared. Um, but I hear that. I hear that from folks on the left, right? Yeah. Um, it's okay. Monica, we don't have, you don't have to give an answer. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> no. but, but, but like, you no. know, yeah, people are scared of that. Like deeply, deeply afraid of that. So, so what, uh, when I talk to people in Seattle about what just the current state, it's the three F's come to mind, fight, flight and freeze fight oh, is wow, like interesting yeah is like ah i'm gonna yeah i'm i'm putting my fists up and yep. we're gonna get after it yep. and and there's certainly times for that but generally if if we're gonna just live at war yeah you know then I don't okay think, like I don't, yeah i don't get, think anyone wants to just live at war yeah although if you think you're at war then maybe you want to live at war right? right like it depends on how you see the world right yeah Flight, which is like I'm so I'm I'm, I'm done with this place, man. <laughs> Let's get, get out of America. Let's get out of Seattle. <laughs> get out yeah, of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, fr but I think yes. a lot of what I see most is the freeze, which yeah. is like I just don't even know what to do. Yeah, I, I would love to participate. I would love to help. I would love to get involved. I would love to help build the common good. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? I don't know. Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, someone? first, I think there's another camp of folks who just aren't that panicked. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think I think we often forget about that. Once you start talking about politics, the the framework is everyone's outraged about something. But actually, that's not true. Um, you know, I know I know people close to me who just like, eh, <laughs> like right. they're kind of in a place left and right where they're like, yeah, we're fine. Yeah. You know, everyone's freaking out, but we're fine. Right. I I find that those people tend not to read as much of the news, <laughs> the national news, and which is not to say that they're not informed. It might be that they're less provoked you know because the news is kind of sometimes unhealthy in large doses <laughs> so 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 i do think that there's that fourth camp and we often don't talk about them because it's not as sexy but it's true um they might even be the biggest camp for all i know uh but your question was about freeze and the folks who want to get involved don't know how yeah i mean i think that's one of the things that we like to 
I mean, we just, we can talk a lot. We can even, this is a, you know, a podcast and we're, and we're talking, but the, but the point is to move us in a, yeah. <laughs> to, to action, right? right. Move us in a positive way yep. towards bringing people together to create a healthy, flourishing city and society. How, what? And so someone's like, oh my goodness, I, I would have no clue without yeah. it even. Where to start. Where to even start. I don't know. I mean, I, um, yeah, everyone has a different answer to this. The, the place where I find a lot of hope and promise would be way down at the individual level. Way, way down. Um, at the level of, you know, I'm sitting with my friends and they assume something about my politics every day and I've never told them what I really believe and how there's nuance for me on this one issue. And maybe I'm going to find a way to do it, to just express it and to try to create a context where it's about understanding. Or it's um, Thanksgiving, you know, and our uh, my mother has disinvited our aunt. And maybe we should bring her back. Uh, or it's I don't understand my parents and why they voted differently for me. And it's starting to get in the way of our relationship. But I also feel like they are so wrong on this one thing. And maybe I'm ready to just try to understand what led them to that and not to try to convince them to change their minds. And if I'm ready to do that, then how about I just ask mom out for coffee and we have that conversation. So I think it's all one-on-one. And then if I'm on Facebook, I don't know, maybe that message I posted about, you know, I'm going to unfriend anyone who believes X. Maybe that wasn't so smart. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm in too much of a bubble. What if everything I'm hearing and all the feeds and friends I'm surrounding myself with are just emphasizing things I already believe and keeping me away from really challenging and interesting insights? Maybe that's not the best way for me to do things. Uh, so I think it begins in those those places. Boom. That's I love that. I mean, that's a what a, what a convicting word about relationship and what that means. And a lot of times we, we can become so utilitarian in our city where we just say, all right, what's the problem? And let's just, let's just tackle it. And, and we miss the fact that everything that binds us together is relationship. It's all about relationships and it's about, you know, relationship with your family and relationship with your friends and your fellow citizens. And, and when, like you said, when we're so um, dogmatic about, hey, if you don't believe this, I'm unfriending you. Mm -hmm. um, We're just, we're setting ourselves up for uh, a pretty ugly society. Yeah. And again, let's remember the good reasons people are doing. Sure. Sure. Right. It's, when politics is so personal, it's it's like painful. Who wants to go on Facebook and just be ag- aggravated every day? Right. Nobody wants to do that. It makes perfect sense to cut that out, right? right? Like it makes perfect sense. So so that's why like not everybody wants to do this work, mm-hmm. you know. And for some folks, it's just too hard. And I think that's fine. Like, and it's just not they're just not interested, right? It's a lot to ask. It is. Um, and that's really the unfortunate thing is that we've gotten to this point where it's so hard. Like, it'd be nice to be in a place where it wasn't quite so hard, where it didn't cut down to the bone, where, I don't know, we hadn't just painted with such a broad brush so many things. I think I think a lot is due to the fact that over time, for, for a lot of folks, you know, what, what once were more innocuous political beliefs have become so closely tied to 
threat level type emotions that you, we can't externalize them anymore. And it's very difficult. Like go back to the you know days of Socrates and Plato. It's very difficult to speak reasonably about different ideas if it's all personal, if everything has to t- like burn you, right? So, so I wonder about that as like, how do you externalize? Maybe you can't. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe it really is this personal. You know, it probably is. So anyway, so, so again, like, I don't have the answers. I don't like coming at it with a sort of kumbaya. Like, we, we all have to just, you know, raise our hands to the sky and, and embrace each other. Like, that's, I, I don't know. I get why that's really hard. The work you're doing is, is powerful. It's needed. It is, you're an example to, to many. And I hope there's uh, more Monica's spawned <laughs> in, this, in this city because we, man, we need that. You went out just a couple more minutes here, mm-hmm. but you went out recently to Washington, D.C. Yeah. with David Brooks for his new project, the Weaver yep. Project. Mm. Uh, he wrote this recent book and, and is and is working on with the Aspen Institute of bringing people together across the city who are doing this this weaving. Yeah, across the country. Across the country, really around the world. Yeah. Yeah. What was your takeaway from that? With that, we don't have to go into just the the sure. the details of that, but I yeah, mean, people can look that up if they're interested uh, on the Weaver Project. But the 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 basic premise was you know bringing. Mm-hmm people across the country together who are doing the work that we've been talking about for the last, you know, 40 minutes. What was the big takeaway for you from your time with David Brooks out in in Washington, D.C.? There were several. Uh, The one that comes to mind now is that conference was (laughs) (laughs) live in front of our very eyes. We saw the hardest challenges present themselves in the form of tension left and right. I, I can't speak for the Weave, you know, uh, project, but I know that there was sort of an intention to bring together folks who were kind of behind a certain set of assumptions around bridge building, that that bi- building bridges between communities is sort of what we're here to talk about, right? Which means we all probably have something to say about that. We're all probably ready to do that. And I think what it revealed is that that wasn't true. Um, and it revealed some nuances in our in, in the the makeup and purpose of communities. Community as a word is like the saintly, pure, beautiful thing, right? But there's a difference between communities whose purpose currently is to understand themselves and their own power and assert their own power. This is a good and beautiful thing. And communities that want to build bridges with other communities. There's a difference. and And I think right now, you look around, there is a lot of communities, there are a lot of communities across the country who rightly need to understand their own power, isolate themselves, maybe get a little aggressive against everyone else in the ways they've been misunderstood, right? That community is not interested in bridge building right now, right? And then there are others who are. Like they see some some social issues, some problem, and they've they've made real headway in you know, building understanding around some issue when there is conflict. That's great too. But but that was my biggest takeaway from Weave is you bring both those categories together in one room without acknowledging the differences, you're going to see some tension because they're not all in agreement about what the next best step is. The communities that are all about finding their own power 
see systemic problems in the country that need to get addressed before they even think about building one bridge, right? The bridge builders have less of a personal experience, maybe, of whatever it happens to be, oppression, exclusion. And so they're just ready to build bridges. They're ready to heal the country. But it's like they're not the whole country. So that, I think, is the work we have to do. Mm. That is the really tough, really tough spot. Wow. Yeah, I wonder what the next step is for them after that after that time. And it, is it, do you sense it's like, hey, we got to take 10 steps back here, 20? I, I, yeah. But, but, but without, without abandoning the, the whole thing, I mean, I think that somebody still needs to, okay, then let's talk about those two different categories. Let's get more, let's get smarter. Right. Right. Let's keep doing that work. Okay. Maybe we're not ready to bridge build all over the place. That's okay. What, what is the next step? Let's figure out what that has to be. Right. So, so yeah, people talk about it has to get worse before it gets better. I don't see it quite that way. I think that these painful things are part of the healthy journey you know, um, ideally. And then we end up with the very American phrase, a more perfect union, right? I mean, if it takes, you know, we're a family, ultimately as a country, and if, you know, one of our members has felt ignored, misunderstood for whatever it is for a very long time, it's going to be painful. And we're going to yell at each other for a while. But if we can understand those members of the family and bring them back into the fold and, and have a different family culture that accepts them, for who they are. And that somehow still like, God, America is hard. America's experiment, our whole thing, is really freaking hard. Mm. We we somehow want individual liberty and we want belonging across communities. You know, we have this extraordinarily diverse population and somehow we all have to self-govern together. Wow, <laughs> that's really hard, right? So if we can do that and, and we go through some pain and we come back together, it will be as a more perfect union. So I don't want to go back to anything. I don't want to go back to anything. Mm-hmm. I want to go forward, go through this painful time, come back stronger the other end. Monica, last question. Yep. We always end it with this one. How do you want to be remembered? Mm-hmm. Wow. I know. <laughs> First of all, I don't plan to die anytime soon. <laughs> I, I'm young. I don't know. Wow, that's a weird one. It's like making me... Um, I mean, I, uh, the bridge building thing means a lot to me at the moment. I don't know, in 10 years or 20 years, I might have a completely different thing though. Yeah. I tend to be pretty creative. You know, I go all over the place, so I can't predict where I'll be. But right now, I, I, I want to, all of these issues we're talking about, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to help folks understand each other. Yeah. Monica, it is a real gift to have you here. I mean, really to, to hear your heart and to hear, um, some of the things that you're working on is is just really powerful and excited to see what what happens uh, this next year and bringing people together. So thank you for the work you're doing and thanks for joining us on uh, on the podcast here. Really appreciate having you. Yeah, and back at you. Thanks for thanks for bringing all this together and and making the umbrella of uh, of common good. It's yeah. good stuff. Thanks, Monica. All right, thanks, Tim.